You're listening to Between Two Ravens, a Norse mythology podcast with Sean and David. Hey, Sean, how's it going? David, it's going, it's going great. How are you? I'm good. Let's see. I'm trying to think what's been happening this past week. I think I was telling you last week about the snow was just starting. And then the day after I actually got a half a day off work, I got a snow day at work. So I'm like, that's very, that was very exciting. That's, it's, that's good. It's, <laughs> it's good. Uh, like when you're in your mid thirties and you're like still excited about oh yeah. snow days. Right. Yeah. It's very, and it, cause I don't get them very often. So for me, it's even more fun. And I got to go outside and build a snowman and there's still a little bit of snow in the corners hanging around my, uh, a sad looking snowman that melted. So how many inches did you get? It was like three, but yeah, that's a lot for us. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, what's, what's very funny, you know, I told you I'm preparing reading about shamanism, reading about runes for the next few episodes. And I just, it was like a few days before that I had read about a, uh, a spell that changes the weather. And I didn't do the spell, but I just read it in the book. And then I got a snow day, like two days later. So I'm like, that, that's, uh, that makes you think. You're like a secret god or like a secret magician or something like that. Well, that's, it's sort of the, the idea of some of the shamanism is that you learn, like, you, you know, you learn the runes and then you have powers of uh, either asking the gods for things or something like that. I told Joey and he's like, David, it's called a coincidence. And I'm like, but Joey, how often do I read about weather spells? Never. And how often does New Mexico get snow? Yeah, right. It's, it's very connected. Yeah. Well, I'm happy for you. That's that's amazing. What about you, Sean? How's your week been? It's been it's been a week. Work's been insane. It's it required a little bit of stronger drink this week. Oh, yeah. Um I didn't I didn't go my normal route of just finding a local beer. I actually created um my own martini. Um in this case, it's my rendition of a Vesper martini. The Vesper Martini coming from uh, the James Bond movie, Casino Royale. I know James Bond, we mentioned previously as an archetype yeah. um, or like one of the archetypes that's yep. big in, in the modern world. But anyway, this is three parts gin, uh, one and a half parts vodka, some lemon juice. But instead of this wine that they used in the movie, I added Saint Germain. So instead of the vermouth, you did a little Saint Germain? Yeah. Yeah, I did. So it was, it was good. It was, it was shaken, not stirred. Um, yeah. So like shaken with ice for 30 seconds and just poured it in there. Typically you add a lemon, like kind of peel, right. but I just use lemon juice because I didn't have, I didn't have an actual lemon, but I had kind of hard juice. To, to carve. Yeah. I don't know if I told you how long I did bartending. It was a little over a year. And uh, one of the tricks with just a little bit of vermouth, you put it in the glass, swirl it around and then let the, the pour it back out. So you're like barely got the least littlest bit of vermouth in there to uh, not mess with your vodka and gin too much. But, yeah. Yeah, I forgot you were a bartender. Did you ever did you ever get asked to make a Vesper martini? Because that's like actually one of my go-to when I go to like a fancy bar or like a speakeasy or something like that. We we would actually, you know, I actually have a lot of thoughts, a lot of things I could say about martinis. Cause yeah, like the, the real martini originally was quite a bit vermouth. And then I think it's especially because of James Bond, people got this idea where it's basically just like chilled vodka in a glass, right? Mm-hmm. When it's like, no, you get a really good gin, you get really good vermouth that really has a lot of flavor. You're not just drinking straight iced vodka, but uh I won't tell people or, or putting a ton of olives and olive juice into there to make it a dirty martini. Um, but I won't, I try not to have too strong of opinions, whatever people want to drink. That's what I'll make them. But if you want to talk about vermouth and uh, speakeasies and stuff, I'll, I'll go there too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think when you're a bartender, if you're like not at a fancy place, you just give the people what they want. If they think they're being fancy, like, who are you to say no? Sorry. No, it's unless, unless it's kind of my approach with everything with the, the podcast too, right? Unless you want to know, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but if, if you want to know what's the, the virtuous way to make a martini, I can, I can go there. Yeah. Maybe there's like a story. Um, I know we've, there was a story that we discussed about creating mead. 
so like I'm wondering if like there's going to be something like undiscovered so far by us that goes into like what it takes to make a liquor drink or like a martini. Some kind of to take what the yeah, because I'm sure Vikings didn't know much of anything about cocktails. But if you take the stuff they applied, like you're talking about the herbs and everything for beer, somehow try to apply that to a, a whiskey drink. Right. That sounds like a Viking kind of modern take yeah. on a Viking drink. Yeah. It's going to be it's going to be a good experiment for us when we actually yeah. see each other in person, which oh, yeah. I don't think we have for years now. No, it's um, been, especially with COVID. Right. It's been a while. The other thing that makes me think of is we're talking about all the different liquors and then talking about magic, that idea of uh, you got to pour one out for Odin. That's very much a uh, appropriate magical practice for uh, sacrifice. Maybe that's the why gods. the runes worked for you. Maybe you, like last time you had a drink, you poured some out. No, yeah, I haven't done that, but it's a thing I, I should, uh, I'll have to remember when, because I, I didn't try to do any magic. I just read about it, but uh, yeah, that's, <laughs> I got a snow day. <laughs> awesome. Um, and, and on that note, um, like we obviously with the pandemic, we have not been able to travel like we as in my, my wife, Beth and I, but like more like most recently, we decided just decided to book trips internationally. So we booked a trip to Canada in late May for Memorial Day. Um, so we're going to Quebec City. And then later this year, we are going to Italy to finally have our honeymoon two years oh, yeah. after our wedding. But yeah. it's pretty exciting because I've always wanted to like my goal was to like travel internationally once a year for the rest of my life. And oh, yeah. the pandemic sort of derailed that. So I'm hoping it doesn't get worse in Europe to where like our trip gets canceled. But yeah. um, we're excited to get back into that now. So, yeah, I think we did the something like at least a year or two years after to have the real honeymoon. But that's because weddings cost money and then you and then you save up and do a do a trip properly rather than put yourself into too much debt in the first place and uh, <laughs> it's a normal thing to do I feel yeah <laughs> <I'll find you. laughs> yeah definitely where, where do we start sean so should we the topic for today right it's it's the hava mall part two but then we're also we, we we're looking at the hava mall and some of it's a little bit the same ideas we brought in the first time but now uh, sean's looked at some yeah. other like viking history and other things kind of give you the context for the hava mall probably a good way to say it yeah, yeah, definitely. And and we were going to split this series up because um, we have three parts that we want to do on Havamal. And this this week we were going to do an episode on um, Odin's sacrifice, Odin's sacrifice to learn the runes, um, which, as David mentioned, is going to be a huge part in, in some of our upcoming episodes. But that kind of ties directly into part three of our series on Havamal. So we decided to do Havamal at one, two, three in consecutive weeks. And then we're going to go into some other stories, one of them being Odin's sacrifice to learn the runes. Last week, we discussed stanzas one through 80 something of the poem. It was in the early 80s. Um, I think we cut off like between 80 and 83 Yeah, of the poem Havamal, found in the Poetic Edda, in which Odin conveys wisdom to the listener, probably in the role of an old man giving life advice to someone younger. Wisdom in which many people consider many people in today's world consider a sort of Viking code of ethics or the 10 commandments of Norse mythology. And in which this case would be the nine commandments of Norse mythology. So we discussed modern day implications of Odin's advice and why somebody who may view life or consciousness as finite may value its wisdom more than somebody who views life or consciousness as infinite as Christians do. So the primary themes of part one focused on the importance of wisdom some of the things like shutting up, basic survival skills, a good night's sleep, bravery, friendship, you know, reputation, not worrying, an understanding that one day we all die, like among other, among other things. But you also get a sense that Odin values an overall skepticism of others and putting himself above others and like a sort of a, the end justify the means of his actions. Um, except, of course, when he also contradicts himself and applies that you should treat others the way you want to be treated, 
depending on if the other party is a friend or enemy, in which somebody who has a lot of wisdom, Odin, would know. Um, so in part two, this episode on Havamal, we discuss a continuation of these overall themes, more so specific to other themes, such as Odin and his mistrust of women, um, which features an old friend we met um, when we discussed the meta poetry. Then in later stanzas, discovering the name of Odin's listener, Lad Fafnir, whom Odin continues to share his wisdom with. So one thing that I, I personally thought of after recording last week's episode was that these bits of wisdom seem to support my theory that Norse pagans were more so opportunists, I guess more than anything. Although there is a debate about like what started the Viking age, for instance, I think the primary thing here is that the Vikings went raiding Christian monasteries because they saw a low risk, high reward target, or like in modern terms of return on investment that would allow them to build their reputation and increase their worth or their net worth. But we also see that when it suits them, Norse pagans were also willing to convert to Christianity the moment that it suited them as well, which sort of goes against this image of a Viking warrior with strong bonds to Odin, um, who will stop at nothing to get into Valhalla. So although they may have thought Valhalla existed, they clearly saw power at the time in other religions and were willing to jump ship which is ultimately what led to like a faster spread of Christianity and kind of the death of, you know, dark age Norse paganism or like Norse mythology. Is it okay. If I interrupt there a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah go ahead. I, I just had a couple of thoughts on, cause the, the first one you were comparing it, right. The Viking values or virtues with the uh, 10 commandments, right. That the, the Viking ones, that, that was the thing I brought in where it was, that it relates to uh, what it reminds me of is the stoic virtues because they don't actually tell you what to do but they tell you all the things to think of right because 10 commandments tell you don't kill like ever really don't do it right or you're breaking the commandment yeah. don't steal right don't covet your neighbor's property right and then the, it was my favorite one and i put it up on instagram was uh the sayings of odin that if you're if you're going to deprive another man of his life or his property well you better wake up early right that's that's odin's advice right it, it doesn't say that you need to go deprive everyone of their life and their property but if you're going to do it yes it's correct you need to wake up earlier than them right it's just it's, you know so they're 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 very straightforward ideas but then they're morally questionable right because like you're saying to steal all the gold out of a christian monastery right um, it's interesting because there are some forms of like protestantism where they wouldn't have a bunch of gold they would just have like a wooden cross right yeah and that goes to one of Odin's other values. Don't get too wealthy because then you got a target on your back, right? It was, you know, the, the Protestantism came out of the Germanic, uh, uh, out of Germany, right? And yeah, to have a giant gold cross and all these wealthy things that make you see the, the glory of God and how well the monastery has been set up. That's just setting yourself up to get robbed by Vikings, right? Yeah. So maybe that wasn't a wise thing to do from this, you know, Norse pagan Germanic perspective, right? So the other ones are like, let's be humble. Let's just have a wooden cross and our priest dress very plainly. And nobody wants to come rob you very much, right? So that's, yeah. You know, that's just where my mind went as you're talking about these things, right? Because it's, oh, it's like, you know, these people are horrible. They're, they're, they don't have the values or the morals of the Christians, but it's like, well, why were you collect? What are you doing with all this gold that you're collecting, right? That's not helping anybody. So that's, yeah. <laughs> Like Robin Hood, right? Yeah. When, yeah, it's it's funny you say that because like in Dark Age England, like you had your set of kings that ruled the like the petty kingdoms of England at the time, but there was like like not equally as powerful, but a very powerful position called like you know an archbishop, and like if you look at the Archbishop of Canterbury, Canterbury being in what was the petty kingdom of Kent, that position like still exists today, but it's almost like it's it's almost like that position 
in Dark Age Englands was a like huge po- like politician. They they like yeah. of course wanted to convert the inhabitants, but they they also like if they needed to, they could be in a position where they could easily accumulate money. They probably were honestly the tax collectors, and they're supposed to be these humble like Christ-like figures, but like they were also in these positions of power. But that but yeah, anyway, that was that's a tangent. I am a huge fan of uh you know Dark Age um, Europe, uh, primarily Dark Age England, um, which kind of leads me onto this um this next segment here. Like I was going to go over a list of a few like actually known Vikings or pagans that converted to Christianity and also describe the reasons why they did. But I also wanted to give a brief, and I mean very brief introduction of post-Roman Dark Age England. So Romans, they they controlled England, you know, and like a decent portion of the British Isles in general. But as the empire started to crumble, they decided to pull their legions from the British Isles to go back to mainland Europe in the early to mid-400s. So the inhabitants of England at that time, the Britons, or after 400 years of Roman rule, you can call them the Romano-Britons, they, they lived on, their, the Roman way of life actually existed. They just didn't have the legions there to kind of enforce anything or back up their way of life. So then a series of tribes, the Angles, the Saxons, and the Jutes invaded from parts of Northern Germany and Denmark. So they were also Germanic pagans. Um, their religion was probably very similar to what we may know of Norse mythology. It, like instead of Thor, it was Thunor. Instead of Odin, it was Woden, etc. But it was probably like the overall theme of the same religion. Anyway, these tribes, these three tribes that historians often just call the Anglo-Saxons, carved out kingdoms for themselves and took over most, most of England. Whereas the post-Roman Britons were often pushed to Wales, Cornwall, you know, probably Scotland and Ireland. And over time, the Anglo-Saxons converted to Christianity. Um, so the first example here was this uh, King of Kent, which I just mentioned in Canterbury. Um, K- Athelbert, King of Kent, uh, married a French wife who was Christian. Her name was Bertha. The Pope used this opportunity to send missionaries and successfully converted him. So he was the first Anglo-Saxon king that converted to Christianity, and this was in the late 500s, early 600s. So what you see after that point is one by one, all of the kingdoms, of which there was typically always seven or eight of them of England, converted to Christianity um, over the next like 100 years. Fast forward to the late 700s, the Viking raids began. The first one being a Viking raid by, we think, Norwegians in 793 off the islands of Lindisfarne, which is off the northern coast of England. And it was also, it was an island that was like monastery, no defenses, a lot of money. So the Vikings invaded that, that like kicked off the Viking age. About 70 to 80 years later, Vikings decided to take more than plunder. They, they tried to carve out kingdoms for themselves, not unlike the Anglo-Saxons did a few hundred years earlier. And they took over most of England outside of the Kingdom of Wessex, where their king at the time, Alfred, or Alfred the Great, defeated this general named Guthrum. When he defeated Guthrum, Guthrum decided to accept Alfred's offer of a kingdom of his own, that kingdom being East Anglia, one of the kingdoms off the east coast of England. And he converted and he became rich because he was a king anyway. So he sort of like failed upwards. But what that tells us, if you look at somebody like Guthrum, is that he may have just saw an opportunity here, instead of getting killed, just say, well, yes, I will adopt Christianity. I will allow you to pour water on me. And I'm going to get rich because I am being a king in my own right. Yes, like, I get to call myself king. I'm going to be subject to you, King Alfred, but like, I'm not going to cause you any trouble. 
the House of Wessex just kind of like took over all of England. They formed the Kingdom of England and the Anglo-Saxon England dynasty ended at 1066. So let's take, a, and like if I'm getting too um, into no, well, it, I apologize, but like, go, I'm sorry. I'll, go I'll give you a couple, a couple of reactions to, yeah, yeah. that um, from the early part of your story, you're talking about where they, they separated from Rome, right? And then later there's the whole thing of the, the Anglican church separating from the Catholic church, right? And they kept a lot of the same practices, but they wanted their independence. Also tying into our whole theme, which is the, the Viking independence, right? Did the Vikings go on these raids because they just want to start fights so they can get themselves to Valhalla? Or is it that possibility that you go and you start raiding places and you might actually claim a whole section of England for yourself and they don't really want to come back and take it back from you because the Vikings are quite ferocious, right? <laughs> and that's something that most people wouldn't do, right? But you're just, you know, they're like, I don't really want to claim it land from other Vikings because they're also terrifying. But some of these English, their borders are pretty soft and I can go take some of that. That's the opportunism, right? Yeah. So that was my main thought. Yeah. So like, I think in, like I mentioned if the year of the first Viking raid being like 793 and there, and they were there in England before, I think like in 791, there was like some uh, squabble or something like that, yeah. but like 793 at Lindisfarne is considered the kickoff of the Viking age. And then think about like 80 years of this consistent raiding at what point did more and more Scandinavians just say, Hey, it's working. Like these guys are bringing boatloads of loot home and it's not that hard. How about we just go take their land so we don't have to like stay here in the winter. We can go like where there's like better farmland and again, get rich. Um, and real quick, I think you mentioned like the Anglican church splitting off from the Christian church. I, I meant like the Anglo-Saxons were pagans. But no, then I'm thinking that, that yeah. I'm making this kind of connection that there's this early tradition that began where the Romans couldn't keep enforcement of them. Right. And then it's a whole later thing, many years later, right. Where it's many centuries later where the Roman uh, Catholic church is trying to say like, Hey, we're the only ones who get to say who gets to be Kings. So your oh, king yeah. needs to be under the, the Pope. Right. And then once again, England says like, no, you can't actually enforce that because we're an Island. Right. And unless you're uh, have a very strong naval battle strategy, like Vikings, you can't come tell England what to do, but yeah. the Vikings are, yeah, but their, th their thing is raiding you by sea. So that's, that's what they do. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so the last thing I wanted to say here, because like I, I know I fast forward to the year 1066, which was when like the last Anglo-Saxon kings of England died out. Yeah. The person or the king that came in and usurped the throne at that point was William the Conqueror. He was the, the Duke of Normandy, Normandy being in northern France. Yeah. And his ancestors was this, his, one of his ancestors was this Viking named Rollo. So Rollo was a character in the show Vikings. Um, and if anything, like that show was all over the place as far as history. Most of it was just kind of like made up, but like at least Rollo's character arc kind of the end of it anyway, was like somewhat true in the late eight hundreds, early nine hundreds. He and his band of Vikings were raiding Northern France and apparently it, it, like it just got worse and worse and worse. So yeah. the French King at the time, whose name is Charles the simple, made him a deal and said, how about this? I will give you lands in the North of France. I will give you titles. I will make you rich. All I need you to do is convert Christianity and help protect us next time your brethren invade. Right. And so he did it. It worked. Yeah. Um, right. That's kind of like I was just saying, right? That, yeah, the, the Vikings didn't want to go claim land from other Vikings because that was going to be a bad time, right? So if you can give them land, right? And they're your border that protects the shore, right? You know, they don't, get to do more raiding, which is something they like doing, but they do like that they get to have titles, right? So yeah, you can kind of buy them off in that way with a substantial yeah. payment. Yeah. And it's really funny. And, and like, if you, if you like read about like a lot of the French and uh, England Viking raids, 
like the Kings got very accustomed to just paying the Vikings to leave <laughs> in meantime, like it, in the meantime, it saved them, but it just enabled more and more people or more and more Vikings to come and say, well, we don't even have to fight. We just have to pose a threat and we're going to get paid money anyway. But like at some point, like with, if you look at King Alfred with Guthrum and then like Charles the Simple with Rollo, it's like, well, how about this? We give you land to stay here, what you wanted. And we just need you to convert and fight off like anybody that invades. And it actually worked. And then Rollo's like, like generations pass and Rollo's ancestor, um, William the Conqueror eventually becomes the King of England anyway, which I think is kind of funny. And he yeah. like took power from the Anglo-Saxons, right. but you see this like elsewhere in the late 400s um, after the, like fresh after the fall of the Roman empire, this guy named Clovis, who I know I mentioned in previous episodes, he became King of the Franks pretty much. He took over enough tribes of Frankish people. Like he eventually got just a, he, he eventually converted because it was going to be easier to subjugate his people right. of his lands. And so you see, like, this is where opportunism, like, is backed up, like, time and time again. And, like, the Vikings may not have just been hell-bent on worshiping the gods because they're gods. They just may have been worshiping the gods at the time because they needed a good harvest that year or they needed good winds when they sailed. That, that was sense. the thing uh, I've been rereading uh, McCoy's um, The Viking Spirit. Spirit yeah. And it was uh, my first reading of him. I was probably a little uh, too harsh on him because I just read the first uh, third of it. Once I get to the end, he's very much saying like, these are the things we know for sure. But when you're trying to understand the Viking spirit, you have to do a bit of interpretation, right? You, it's, there's no, no one really actually gets to tell you what it means entirely. No one knows for sure anymore exactly what it means. But that, that idea that the, their relationship to their gods was not just that they bow down and submit themselves to their gods. It's, you know, I'll do for you what you do for me. It's the same thing with their, yeah. their uh, Jarls or their, their Kings or their tribe leaders, right? It's, if you treat me well, you get to, you know, get my services, right? If you mistreat too many of us, we'll probably take you out. And if you're mistreating me, then I'll, I can go somewhere else, right? It's, I don't have yeah. to stick around so that if the, if the Christian God is treating you well, then, well, let me see what he's about a little bit, but they, they didn't necessarily, you know, leave, leave their gods right away. Right. But they would try to take, try out this new one, see how it goes. But then it's the Christianity that says you must have only one God. And at some point then mm -hmm. it becomes a conflict internally as well as uh, externally. You don't hear a lot of stories about Christians converting to paganism in the dark ages because they they think that like the idea of that at all is gonna like put you into an internal like hell. Right. Whereas the I guess the pagans who are used to multiple gods, yeah. you know, are okay with like saying, Oh yeah, there probably is another Christian god. Um, maybe he's worth looking into. But and, and then it is right, yeah. There's there's no like immediate divine retribution for saying, you know what, I'm not gonna worship Thor anymore. You know, I'm not gonna worship uh Freya anymore, right? But then there was somewhat this idea like, well, if you don't give proper sacrifices to them, if you don't honor and acknowledge them, some things might start going wrong in your life, right? And that would be the question like I started the episode with, right? Like I read some things where I'm honoring some of the, the concepts and then I get a snow day and it's like, well, that's just a coincidence. But what are the things that start to fall apart when you stop honoring the earth goddess, right? Uh, the, the sky gods, uh, the god of thunder, right? Things like that. Yeah. Because Thor is like a, a spirit that very much protects you and destroys your enemies, right? And if you don't honor that, do you forget how to protect yourself and destroy your enemies, right? So that's kind of a metaphorical, <laughs> conceptual yeah. idea. But that's, that's what happened to the Christians, essentially, right? If they, they forgot Thor, did something happen where they got soft and now the Vikings are <laughs> taking them over? Right? Yeah, exactly. It's a very weird way to look at it. Um, we can go ahead. I know we've spent some time talking and like this, I find this, this stuff very fascinating. Again, like I... <laughs> almost yeah. wanted to do a podcast on dark age 
And th oh, that was something yeah, when I went back like... and listened to season zero, episode zero, when we re-released that, that was oh, something yeah. <laughs> I caught was how Sean said, like, I would love to talk about a bunch of dark age history, right? And I want to figure out a way, I think at some point to, to tie that back in, right? To do some episodes where we're, because really this is explaining the context where these ideas come out of, you know, at some point I, I told you, I want to get the book from uh, Tacitus was like one of the earliest Romans oh, yeah. to write anything about the Germanic people. I want to say year 500. And that's where, as it I- It may have I, been sooner than that. Maybe um, I think early, he, almost he year might've been maybe. like in the, maybe the year 100 or something. Or 100. I think. Uh, yeah. yeah. I think, it, I think it was when I was in high school and learning history, it could never keep my attention and you'd get all these numbers and I'm like, they don't, none of them mean anything to me. But once I start knowing like, you know, what was going on around the Mediterranean year 100, right? What's going on that barely anyone knows what was happening in the, you know, the Norse and Iceland in year 100, right? But then when you start to get these bits and pieces, it's like, oh, that matters a lot, right? Was it year 100 or year 500, right? Yeah, because it was, oh, yeah. it was pre-Christian pre essentially for Tacitus. He was a, a Roman pagan talking to Germanic pagans, right? So his perspective is so fascinating. But yeah, like to find ways to tie in other... You know, I told you my personal interest, especially the the Nordic and Germanic and Celtic underlying religious cultures, all of that, right? That's a, a thing where you, you have to kind of know what was going on in their world to yeah. know who influenced who and what came first and all that. But let's, should we jump into the Havamal? Yeah, let's go ahead and do it. I think let's it's about it. time. <laughs> let's see. So I will start to read through some of the ones that I liked. This is a reacquaints you with the Havamal again, and where, where we're at in this the second, third, so... It says, at evening should the day be praised, the woman when she is cremated, the blade when it is tested, the girl when she is married, the ice when it is crossed, the ale when it is drunk, in a wind one should cut wood, in fine weather row on the sea, in darkness chat with a girl, many are day's eyes, use a ship to glide along, a shield for defense, a sword for blows, and a girl for kisses. By the fire, one should drink ale, one should slide over ice, by a lean horse and a rusty blade, fatten the horse at home and fatten a dog at someone else's. The words of a girl no one should trust, nor what a woman says, for on a whirl whirling wheel their hearts were made, deceit lodged in their breast, a breaking bow, a burning flame, a gaping wolf, a calling crow, a grunting pig, a rootless tree, a rising wave, a boiling kettle, a flying dart, a falling wave, ice of one night, a coiled serpent, the bed talk of a woman or a broken sword, the playing of a bear or a king's child, a sick calf, an independent-minded slave, a seer who prophesizes good, a newly killed dead man, an early sown field let no man trust, nor too soon a son, the weather rules the field and the brains the sun. Both of them are risky. A brother's killer, if met on the road, a house half burned, too swift a horse. The mount is useless if a leg breaks. Let no man be so trusting as to trust all of these. What are, what are some yeah. of your like, reactions or interpretations to some of this, this section of, to me, it's be skeptical of everything. Yeah, exactly. And, and I just thought it was funny. I was reading along with my copy of Jackson Crawford's translation yeah. and like I knew what you were saying, but it's just funny to see how like sometimes it's a slight difference yeah. in translations, but sometimes it's completely different. Yeah. But yeah, I just, I thought that was, I, I was kind of like laughing as you were going through he's, that. He's but. usually quite literal. So you, you know exactly what he's, he's looking at the old Norse and he likes to make sure you know what the old Norse sounded like, where this one makes it like a thing you'll modern day interpret. Yeah, definitely. I think, and, but I do agree, like just like an overall skepticism of 
people, especially in this case, women. But I also think like you get this sense that he like he lists up he lists all these things that you can't trust, right? I get the sense that he is trying to convey like a don't it's like everything it's too good to be true. Um, and and like it, maybe it goes this, back what yeah. we said last time was that don't trust it completely blindly, right? Like you have to kind of try to trust people to try to work with people. But if you you know, let me find one of the examples from uh, it even said like the the first the ice from the first night or um, a seer who prophesizes good things, right? It's a funny, it was the thing I read this week that sometimes if they would be very afraid to prophesize something bad because they might actually get killed for bringing bad news because they didn't really respect the seers and the sorceresses and the shamans that much. Sometimes they would kill them for giving them bad news, right? It's like, the, don't kill the messenger. But then it goes to, well, if they're telling you good news, don't trust it entirely because they might make that up just because they know they can't speak honestly to you, right? Yeah. When I think this is funny because like I've I've met a lot of people that get like excited yeah. way too quickly. And I think we all probably fall victim to this at some yeah. point. Like if we hear something that we have been wanting to, we are mm-hmm. just like eager to get excited. And then like if anybody falls on hard times, like if it's if it's something like small or temporary, like people are just like, oh, this sucks. Like I don't know what I'm yeah. gonna do. It's almost like it's never that as good as you think it is, but it's never as bad as you think it is. And like you just kind of have to stay in the middle. Yeah, it's like cool. understand, well, this is just like the next step. It's gonna get better and worse in the future, but like you just have to accept that. And I'm just thinking a lot of the message here is don't get too excited. Well, I, um, I like something that you had just said there because it made me think of, you know, it, it can sound very, I mean, of course, controversial, and a lot of people will be turned away when he starts this out with saying how women are created to be kind of not trustworthy. That's pretty much what he says there. The thing you said was that that's not necessarily on them, right? Is that actually on the the man's perspective that he meets a new woman and he just wants to believe everything she says, right? And it's because he wants to be too trusting of a person he just met, right? Because he's she's beautiful. So I'll just believe everything she says, right? Versus what's a person you can actually trust? I definitely so want to do read you this think part. He's, oh, do yeah. you think he's like telling, like, do you think the wisdom that he's trying to convey here is that men can be stupid? Yeah. As, as opposed to like women are out to get you or just like men can be stupid to think like, Oh, the waitress talked to me. <laughs> like right, the waitress right. talked to me. She's into me. Like, and and he's talking to young men. Like, right, the Vikings. Not they didn't live that long, anyways, right? And so it's it's a bunch of young men. What do they need to know? And you know, can you go as broad as I was saying, or do you need to just give them some simple facts they can try to keep track of? But I wanted to read this next part because I like this. It goes back to right. You can take any line and believe it very literally, or you can take the broader spirit of what's kind of being said. Right. So this one says. Such is the love of women, of those with false minds. It's like driving a horse without spiked shoes over slippery ice. It's a frisky uh, two-year-old badly broken in horse. It's like steering in a stiff wind with a rudderless boat or trying to catch a lame reindeer on thawing ice. I can speak frankly since I have known both. Men's hearts are fickle towards women. When we speak most fairly, we think most falsely. That entraps the wise mind. Right. So in this one, he's saying such is the love of women, but especially those with false minds, right? It's not saying every woman has a false mind there. It's saying if it's a woman you can't trust, right? It feels like you're on a horse on, on ice, right? Like that's quite a metaphor, right? And then, and it says, and let me be honest, I know men that are just as untrustworthy, that are just as fickle. And they tell you exactly what you want to hear just because they can get away with it. Right. And then he's saying, be careful of doing that as well, right? That the men should also be careful of where that takes them. So to me, that, 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 that phrase gives a nice balanced perspective on what, what I take from it. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think if you're, I think if you like understand that Odin is the speaker and by the way, like I still maintain like one of my 
overall understandings after reading everything is that like the Aesir are often just the bad guys. Like they're really, they're not good beings, but like in this case, if you are Odin, who we know through the stories is a, is a straight man. Um, these are experiences that he has had in his life. Like he learns like not to trust some women because some of them will be deceitful, which we're going to get into an example that he goes over later in the poem. But also, like he understands through his experience of seducing women that also men cannot be trusted. That that doesn't yeah. just go well for him, right? He knows like he can do that, right? Men can do that, but maybe be a little cautious of doing that, right? I think that he's saying that right there. So yeah, yeah. And I also think like these are both experiences that anybody has probably experienced at some point from any of their yeah. partners, right? Like everybody growing up has had bad relationships where they feel like they were wronged. Yeah. A lot of people like probably you know, may, may feel the opposite where they, they treated somebody incorrectly. And it's like, you know, like, what can you do from that outside of growing? Um, so like in this example, like, and this is just me, like trying to stretch to say that he's not making a lot of generalizations about women based on his own experience. But like, you know, if you do take a step back, like you can honestly see what he's trying to say here. If you're growing up and you are a young person, which is the audience, the target audience here, don't get too excited. If, if you think like the, the waitress loves you, (laughs) don't but like also at the same time like understand that sometimes you are going to be the asshole like if you just lose interest in somebody you know it's that that, yeah that that not what was the term he used not every woman has a as a true mind right is telling you the truth right some have false minds right to approach a person to be 50 50 this person might be telling me the truth this person might be lying to me right that is i think actually a fairly good way to approach situations I want to read these two because I think this goes yeah. to me because it goes right. All these things, you read one line out of context and it's like, well, Odin says women can never be trusted, right? If you read them, you know, five or six stanzas in a row, you come to this thing, which I would say is like the, the core he's trying to get across, right? He's saying it in a lot of different ways to try to get it across to you. It says, no man should ever reproach another for being in love. Often the wise man is seized when the foolish man is not by a desire arousing appearance. Not at all should one man reproach another for what is common among men. Among men's sons, the wise are made into fools by the force called desire. Why that one stands out to me is that's an idea that the Stoics talk about. They talk about that you desiring things is what makes you miserable. If you weren't so focused on, I need to have that nicer car. I need to have, I need to have a partner that looks a certain way. That's what makes you miserable, right? It goes back to what you were saying earlier, like kind of check yourself besides just focusing on everybody outside of you. And even for like, for Buddhism, it is the, one of the core ideas, the, what is it? The, uh, the four noble truths of Buddhism, mm-hmm. you suffer because you are so attached to even just this life or all of your property and wanting these things. And the Stoics talk a lot about being attached to your status or where your status is in life. Right. And those are all things that just make you more miserable out of desiring them. Right. So I think going to the early, you know, if you look at the earlier, like five or six stanzas before that, I think it's all saying like, uh, young men, be worried that your desire is blinding you into being quite foolish. Welcome good, to high school. <laughs> good advice. Yeah, I think that's good advice, right? Yeah, if you if you haven't learned it by high school, you should learn it quickly after or uh, problems. Yeah, to me, that's like it's it's all the different ways to say is you know the things you desire, right? Craving power and gold and taking over things, right? Does it actually just make you more miserable to not be content? And that's what you've said before, right? To just be content with being average, wise, right? To be satisfied with. Not having yeah. everything, right? Yeah. Um, so we can we can go into these two examples that I think tie into exactly like Odin's thoughts on women, but also men. So stanzas 96 to one-on-one, he's down on himself 
for failing to seduce a daughter of a man named Billings, which I think is very interesting because, you know, like being hurt by the idea of love or something. And I'll just read this. I'll read these uh, series of stanzas out. He says, I experienced this when I waited among the reeds and my lover did not come to me. That wise girl was my flesh and my heart, though I could not call her my own. I found Billings' daughter, fair as a sunray, asleep on her bed. The life of a lord seemed as nothing to me, unless I could live with that woman. You should come back in the evening, Odin, she said. If you want to woo me, it is improper for other, others to know of such a scandal. I turned back and thought that I would win her. I imagined that I would win the woman's love and all her joy. But when I came back that night, there was a good company of warriors awake and ready for me with burning flames and torches held high. I was shown my miserable way out. And when morning came, I returned. Everyone in the hall was sleeping. And then I found a watchdog tied to the bed of that good woman. So this woman just tricks him pretty much. What was your sense? Was she still there and there was the dog or did they, they switched her out. She's hiding somewhere else. And he just came in and found the dog. In my research, she put a female dog there to troll Odin. But, uh, you know, I kind of get this as Odin incorrectly thought this woman was into him. And maybe, like, he was a little bit too forward or something. And the woman was like, no, like, I'm just, like, going to set this trap for you. But, like, I'm not interested, bro. But, like, yeah, he was he was too too idealistic that she said, oh, come back later and then you can woo me. And he's like, that sounds great. And he's not thinking, is she setting a trap? So I think this is like, this is like the example that he was referring to earlier where he says like women cannot be trusted when it comes to the character of uh, Billings or Billing, excuse me. I I did some research to see who it was. And I guess the, the one thing that came to mind was whether or not Billing was a giant or a dwarf. In my research, apparently there was a character named Billing mentioned in the name of one of the translations of the poem Volaspa, which we've mentioned previously. And like, I hope we can do maybe some episodes down the road on, um, but in Volaspa, the seeress who is speaking to Odin and at some point goes over eight stanzas where she just gives a list of names of dwarves. Yeah. And it's like, you see names like Gandalf, Oak and yeah. Shield. Yeah. I think Gimli is one of them all from Tolkien. Yeah. But I think in one of the translations, apparently Billing is the name of one of them. Which would lead you to believe that Billing may be a dwarf and his daughter is one of the first female dwarfs that we hear about in Norse mythology. Also, one of the Kennings apparently mentioned in one of the in one of the sources, and I need to look into this further, mentioned poetry as in the Kenning for poetry being the cup of the son of Billing, which goes back to the story of the Meta poetry. But if you remember that story, at one point two two dwarves owns the Meta poetry. And then Giants also owns the, the meat of poetry. So you, you kind of get this idea that it's probably a dwarf, but then you also hear, you also know that Odin has seduced Giants, Giantesses before, yeah. which gets to the next portion of Havamal, where he laments his um, decision to deceuse Gunlad. Yeah. Before I go there, sword, one of my yeah. thoughts was- um, Oh yeah, good. In, in other mythologies, like for the Greeks, right? The gods are all powerful and they can kind of do whatever they want, but Odin's not, right? He, he's, he, he can't just get away with anything. Because there's later stories where he actually like is sneaking into the homes of you know a human kingdom, and then they catch him and keep him hostage there. Right? It's interesting. Is over time the things change, or it's the question: Does Odin change over time, where he's 
no longer is powerful. He becomes more like a man and has to you know, follow some of the rules. The, uh, Which is why, like, my theory is that, like, and I know I mentioned this multiple times, was that Odin is like the king of being human or like yeah. the god of being human, excuse me. But yeah, like to that point, he just mentioned this one story about him failing to seduce a woman that he was in love with. And then he, the next like series of stanzas, stanzas 104 to 110, which I have quoted previously on our episode of the Meet of Poetry. He talks about how he seduced Gunlod, this uh, giantess who was a son of, or the daughter of Sutung, yeah. a, a giant whose who's like life got screwed over by these two dwarves. It gets screwed over even further when Odin seduces his daughter to steal the meat of poetry from them. He kind of talks about this in the sense that he, you know, screwed them over and he feels bad about it, but he also thinks it's necessary as to what he did. But I think that goes to the second part of him saying, but also men can't be trusted either. And it's like, that's, it's kind of very interesting because he kind of contradicts himself in two stanzas. But then he talks about two stories later in this poem, which kind of like lend itself to to what he said, if that makes sense. I, we can probably move to Lud Fafner. Yeah, because that's an interesting one. Somewhere I was looking up that um the, that word. So he has all these ones that he's he's speaking to. He says, I advise you, Lod, Lod Fafner. Is that how we say it? Yeah, I, probably. We're, we're probably going to get it wrong until we say it like in, in, in two months, much more episodes in two months, but... No, yeah, I'm not entirely sure, but but it's like several stanzas in a row. He starts all of them that way, that I advise you, Lode Fafnir, to take this advice. A couple of things, and I, I looked up that word, means something like the novice poet, right? So it's Odin, the great poet, speaking to a novice poet. The one thing that reminds me of is uh, the Stoic philosopher Lucius Seneca. He writes a bunch of letters, it's a whole section, to Lucilius, which is basically to little Lucius. So it's like, you know, Sean writing to Sean Jr., and he's just telling all these words of advice for the, little, the younger version of himself, right? Or the, you know, the things he wishes he heard when he was in high school is one way to think of some of these advice, right? That's very interesting. Like <laughs> Odin yeah. maybe being like a time traveler or just like writing a letter, not to his future self, but to his past self and say, man, you right. fucked up. Like, And, and it, it's, a, it's a literary device, right? Rather than saying, I think you need to do this, right? Reader is yeah. saying like, no, whoever you are, Lode Fafnir, you should hear this advice, right? And then me reading it, I can decide if I want to listen to it or not but it, it keeps your mind open kind of like, well, this is just advice for, for the novice, the young poet, right? Uh, so this one reminded me, it sounded a lot like one that was in the first half. So that's the idea that this might actually have been a separate poem they added into the Havamal because it actually recaps some of the earlier ideas. It says, yeah. uh, I advise you, Lode Fafnir, to take this advice. It will be useful for you to learn it. It'll do you good to have it. To know if you've a friend, one whom you trust well, go to see him often for brushwood grows and tall grass on the road, which no man treads. So mm-hmm. it's a little like that one that, you know, it's a long road to your friend. It's a, a shorter, but twistier road to your enemy, right? So yeah. go see your friend often. Don't let the brush grow up on the path where then it's hard to get there. Right. Uh, yeah, definitely. I like that one <laughs> now, a lot. We did like, there was a stanza, as you mentioned, like directly like that last week. So, yeah. And so that's where I, th- I think it's just, that, you know, this is, you know, was this written later or however it was right there, but they're all similar. They go together. I like 124. Well, it just says, uh, this is the true meaning of kinship. When a man can tell someone his thoughts, anything is better than to be fickle. He is no true friend who only says pleasant things. So one is kind of this advice, like to give your friends the tough feedback, right? If they're being obnoxious, if they're being an ass, call them out on it and tell them, right? That's actually being a good friend, right? It's also that if someone is always telling you nice things, maybe don't trust them, right? Maybe they don't actually have your interests at heart, right? It's kind of like that, uh, 
the seer, the sorcerer that comes to town and is telling you the future. And he only ever tells you good things, right? It's like, uh, maybe he's not actually telling the truth. It's funny you say that because um, I remember like for work, like three years ago, I was asked to, like a few of us were asked to read a book called Radical Candor. I forgot the the, um, author's name, but it was pretty much like, you know, if you know somebody is, or if you're like a coach for somebody at work and you know, they're not doing a good job, you need to just tell them, Hey, you, you are, you're sucking right now. You, you are awful right now. Like, here's what you need to do better. And it's like, it's, it's kind of better than beating around the bush, but at the same time, like the other extreme of that is at what point are you just an asshole? Well, and, and then they need to learn how to take useful feedback, right? So it requires both sides, right? Cause if you're not open yeah. to hearing any feedback, you'd be too embarrassed to, you know, and too reactive and shut down. Then you can't hear that feedback. But then it goes to, you know, are you hearing useful feedback or are they just constantly criticizing you and tearing you down, right? So what's, is it, is yeah. it constructive criticism, right? I'll read 126, just showing this, the repetition of this pattern. So it says, I advise you, Lord Fafnir, to take this advice. It'll be useful for you to learn it. It'll do you good to have it. Be neither a shoemaker nor a shaft maker for making spears for anyone but yourself. If the shoe is bad fitting or the shaft be crooked, then curses are called down upon you. Right. So this would be don't make shoes for people because they'll blame you for it. Don't make spears for other people. If you want a thing done right, do it yourself. And as it goes back to that, yeah, you don't want people cursing you for making them a bad sword or a bad spear. Right. But I mean, someone has to be the blacksmith. So I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> quite what to do, but it's a metaphor. Right. And uh, I'll do one, one thirty-two Cause I like, I like this kind of, I think this is one that came up again too, but I like it a lot. So uh, I advise you load Fafnir to take this advice. It'll be useful for you to learn it. Never hold up to scorn or mockery a guest or a wanderer. Often they don't know for certain, they who sit inside, whose kin a newcomer is. No man is so good that he has no blemish, nor so bad that he is good for nothing, right? So it's that yeah. you don't know who you're talking to, right? When you're talking to a stranger, they might actually be a, a person that would be helpful to you. They'd be helpful to make them your friend. So and also that kind of idea that only you know men in glass houses shouldn't throw stones, right? Look at your own flaws before you are so down on a, a stranger. Yeah. And one funny thing that I, I mentioned, cause like he described like, not like not assuming that somebody who like looks this, like this way is like going to be bad. Like maybe they're going to be helpful to you. But when Odin goes into his many disguises, he often portrays himself in this way. Right. So <laughs> it could just be like, well, you know, I could be making you rich or I could be giving you a kingdom. Like we saw in the poem Grimness small, like, but I, it's like, it's almost like, well, yeah, you know what? The person might be helping you, but like don't judge a book by its cover is yeah. like another way to look at it. And, and there's a lot of stories. Like I can't think of one off the top of my head, but where, you know, the King or the God or somebody comes to you in a very humble looking form to see, how do you treat a person who looks like they're a beggar or a peasant? Right. And then you treat them well. And it's like, Oh, you, you, uh, you win the prize. You get to have whatever, you know, magical great honor the King would bestow upon you because you treated a humble person. Well, right. So that's that kind of those fables of why to do that. Any other thoughts that stood out to you, Sean, from this, uh, yeah, this kind of second, third of the Havamal. Sheen, I feel like the parts that we discussed today kind of go a little bit further into like the human heart and like what we want to think, but like what is real, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I wanted to especially kind of leave on this one here. We can talk about it a little, but I wanted to make sure I read this at the end. I advise you, Lord Fafnir, to take this advice. It'll be useful for you to learn it. Don't bark at your guests or drive them from your gate. Treat the indigent well. And that's not a Viking value or, you know, you think about the Viking code of ethics, right? Yeah. Treat the beggars well. It's almost opposite of something Odin said earlier, right? I think he actually says, don't tolerate the beggars, right? But here he says, treat the indigent well, right? A person who can't care for themselves, disabled or however else, 
treat them well, right? And it's why, right? Because we have our modern or Christian values and morals and all these reasons for why. For the, you know, for the Vikings, right? Why would they do so? I think it's might even go back to that. If it goes back to reputation, right? Do you want the reputation that you treat people who can't defend people themselves bad, yeah. very poorly, right? Yeah, I think that's a useful. It's funny because like, I guess one thing that I did notice is in, in part one that we discussed, Odin yeah. like overwhelmingly says like, unless it's not your, unless it's your friend, like look at everybody as a potential enemy. Whereas in this series, like when he's talking to Lud Fafnir, you almost get the sense that in some of these stanzas, like, but don't assume that like, it's, it's almost the opposite. Like don't assume that somebody is your enemy if right. you don't know them, but like, see what they have to say. You know, maybe they're going to say something that's very interesting and maybe they can become your friend. Whereas in part one, it's like, maybe this person can become your enemy. It's kind of like goes into like, don't trust women, but like also women shouldn't trust men. It's the kind of don't, don't trust blindly, right? And that goes to Odin, you yeah. know, sacrificing his eye and all these ideas, right? Because it's, you know, to a person comes to your door, thinking about these Viking times, right? And you, and you give them a meal and a place to stay for a night, right? But then it might be like, you know, I think it's time for you to get moving on, right? So it's, you don't have to treat them terribly but you don't have to like feed them for the rest of your life because a beggar came to your door, right? It's, you, you need to, you know, I'm, I'm not going to chase you out with a sword unless you won't move when I ask you to move on nicely, right? It's yeah. treat them nicely well, but then how far does that go, right? It doesn't define anything perfectly. It just gives you the things to consider, but yeah, don't, don't just chase them away off your front porch, right? Maybe give them a chance or something like that. Exactly. All right, Sean, are we, are we a good, good spot? I think that's where we said we'd yeah, I think so. I think uh, next week we're going to go um, over part three of Havamal. Pretty much stands as 138 through the end of it, which is 164. Um, and then after that, we're going to probably talk a little bit about the runes, which feature in next week's episode anyway. So thanks everyone for listening, and we will see you next week. I advise you, Lord Fafnir, to take this advice. It'll be useful for you to learn. It'll do good to have it when you drink ale. Choose for yourself earth strength. Oak aids with constipation and corn against witchcraft. For hatred, invoke the moon. For the earth soaks up drunkenness as runes dull a sword. The land takes up a flood. Drunk I was. I was dead drunk with y'all our wise I was The best part of drinking is if it brings back wisdom with him home The son of a king shall be silent and wise and bold in battle as well Bravely and gladly a man shall go Till the day of his death has come Over a beer Forgetfulness brutes And steals the minds of men With heron's feathers Fettered I lay In Gunlod's house I was held Earth strength, earth strength, earth strength, earth strength Choose for yourself earth strength It'll do good to have it when you drink ale Choose for yourself earth strength